Markets are unsettled and nervously awaiting US non-farm payrolls data tonight in the wake of one of the worst bond market sell-offs in a decade. Oil prices fell sharply again overnight and are down nearly $10 a barrel this week. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, we find out from Kun Go why Singapore uses its currency as its main monetary policy tool rather than interest rates. Singapore is able to manage it through the exchange rate, uh, mainly because it uh, runs a persistent large current account surplus. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Number one, markets are jittery this morning and on hold, awaiting US non-farm payrolls data tonight. The US 10-year yield is down two basis points at 4.72%. And the S&P 500 is off half a percent in late trade. The big mover is oil again. It's down a further 2% on top of a 5% fall on Wednesday night. Oil prices have fallen almost 10 US dollars a barrel in the last week as it becomes clear that tighter monetary conditions are likely to drag on demand for oil in the global economy. The Aussie and Kiwi dollars are up a bit at 63.5 and 59.5 cents respectively. Number two, ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, says markets are looking for jobs growth of around 170,000 in those non-farm payroll figures, with the US unemployment rate expected to fall a touch to 3.7%. The ADP numbers suggest it should be weaker. The jolts data that we had out earlier this week suggests it should be stronger. My sense is that the trend is your friend, uh, that we are seeing a deceleration in hiring. So I actually think that the expectation that the number will be a little bit softer than it was in August is, uh, on balance, probably correct. Number three, Australia's trade surplus improved more than expected to over $9.6 billion in September. ANZ Australia economist Maddie Dunk says a doubling of gold exports helped put a shine on the numbers, and both tourism exports and imports are also recovering well. Australians are going overseas and people also want to come to Australia and visit our shores after a period where we haven't been able to travel. And in today's release, we saw that tourism exports, that's money spent by overseas tourists in Australia, that surpassed pre-COVID levels. And similarly, tourism imports have also surpassed pre-COVID levels. So there are a lot of signs of a strong tourist recovery. Number four, food and energy prices drove the inflation results out yesterday for South Korea, Philippines and Thailand. Here's ANZ economist for Asia, Crystal Tan. Headline inflation in both South Korea and the Philippines showed a further acceleration. In both cases, higher food and energy prices were the key drivers. Whereas in Thailand, inflation there had actually eased in September to just 0.3% year-on-year, and that's thanks to lower energy prices because policymakers there had lowered the diesel price cap and also cut electricity tariffs for the September to December period. Number five. Crystal sees the numbers reinforcing the hawkish biases of central banks in the Philippines and South Korea. But between the two, the odds of a further rate hike is probably higher in the Philippines. The Philippines does stand out as among the region's most vulnerable to twin gains in both food and energy costs. And that's also in part due to the larger weight these components have in its inflation basket. Crystal tan there. 
Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview. Singapore's Monetary Authority will decide next Friday what to do about stubbornly high inflation there. But the way it works is different. I asked ANZ's head of Asia research, Kun Go, why Singapore uses its currency as its main monetary policy tool, rather than interest rates. Yeah, so in Singapore, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, uh, which is the country's central bank, uh, operates monetary policy in a very unusual fashion from most other conventional central banks. Most other central banks, like uh, the RBA and RBNZ or the Fed, uses interest rates as its monetary policy tool. But in Singapore, it's actually the exchange rate that is used uh, as uh, the prime lever for conducting monetary policy. And it does that by uh, basically influencing the pace of the currency's um, you know, appreciation path. And as a result of that, because they are influencing the exchange rate, Singapore effectively gives up control of its interest rates. Uh, and therefore, Singapore's interest rates is actually very closely tied to U.S. interest rates as a result. Why does the Monetary Authority of Singapore do it that way? Well, Singapore is a very small, open economy, and pretty much the majority of products in Singapore are imported. Therefore, the Monetary Authority of Singapore's mandate to manage inflation is best done via the exchange rate, because if you're able to influence the exchange rate, it actually has quite a, a direct impact on inflation through the imported price channel. So, for example, if um, the economy is growing strongly or in danger of overheating, that tends to put upward pressure on prices. Uh, and by allowing the exchange rate to appreciate at a faster pace, that helps to bring down the cost of imported inflation. Uh, and of course, being uh, dependent on exports, a stronger currency does reduce the export competitiveness. And then it has the dampening effect on economic activity through that channel as well. Uh, and uh, this uh, ma- way of managing monetary policy has been ongoing since the 1980s uh, and has served the Singapore economy very well and continues to do so to this day. So how does the uh, authority ensure that the currency is on the right track, if you like, and how does it communicate what it thinks is the right track? Singapore is able to manage it through the exchange rate, uh, mainly because it uh, runs a persistent large current account surplus. I think that's very important. A country that runs persistent deficit certainly will not be able to uh, manage monetary policy using the exchange rate. Uh, so that's a uh, first very important factor. Uh, secondly, Singapore does have a large foreign exchange reserves. And again, that's very important because if you're trying to, uh, for example, uh, influence Uh, the exchange rate, you really need to have substantial resources behind it in order for markets to deem the policy as credible. You can imagine uh, if you don't have that kind of resources, uh, it's actually going to be quite difficult to consistently manage your exchange rate, particularly uh, if it's on a weakening path uh, and the market knows you have limited resources, uh, it's actually going to be quite futile. So I think those two, uh, as a backdrop, makes um, operating uh, monetary policy through exchange rate uh, viable in uh, the case of Singapore. Now, given that resourcing behind it and also the credibility that it has in markets, uh, it communicates twice yearly through its monetary policy statement, setting quite clearly uh, its uh, uh, policy stance in regards to the exchange rate. Now, you know, it operates uh, what is called a BBC uh, method, a band 
basket crawl. So it manages it through a, a trade-weighted index, if you like, called the Signia, which is the Sing dollar versus basket of major trading partner currencies. Uh, and it sets a band within which the uh, Signia is allowed to fluctuate within. And it also signals to the market whether or not the path of appreciation is neutral or whether it's on an, an appreciation path. So that you know, lets the market know whether or not uh, the the MES would like the currency to pretty much trade sideways or whether it wants the currency to be on an, an appreciation path. Now, it's pretty vague in terms of its overall policy parameters. For example, it'll tell the market it's on an appreciation path, but it will never tell the market what uh, percentage increase per annum it, it is or what the uh, what the width, width of the band is. So in some respects, it likes to keep the market guessing I guess that element uh, is very important in conducting monetary policy. I think you don't want to give too much away. But the main point is that uh, the signaling in terms of the policy stance is sufficient for the market to then uh, dictate the broad direction of the Sing dollar. Couldn't go there. Talking to us from Singapore. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Friday, October the 6th. Have a great weekend and we'll be back on Monday with analysis of those non-farm payrolls figures and a preview of the week ahead. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.